once all the visible disease is clear, then we actually close the belly again, but we leave behind catheters. And the catheters are connected to a perfusion device or a device that actually allows for the circulation of the chemotherapy. This is the James Cancer-Free World Podcast. I'm Steve Wartenberg, and my guest is Dr. Alex Kim. Alex specializes in treating patients here at the James with a variety of gastrointestinal cancers, and he is leading the way in a new high-tech surgical technique called HIPEC. That stands for hyperthermic intraperitoneal chemo perfusion. It's a procedure in which heated chemotherapy is injected into a patient as part of their surgery. That's the simple explanation, and Alex will explain the process in a lot more detail. Welcome, Alex. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. So you're pretty new here to the James. So fill everyone in a little bit on your background and what got you into oncology in general and your specialty and what brought you here to Ohio State? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, my life, I grew up in northwest suburb of Chicago. Um, I attended University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign as an undergraduate student there. And that's how I, I think I started to get interested in oncology as a field and as a scientific discipline. Particularly, you know, I've watched patients, you know, while volunteering at local hospitals suffer through their cancer diagnosis and especially the patients that have advanced cancers. And that led me to wanting to take care of patients that are afflicted by this particular disease process. But more importantly, I wanted to contribute towards the science and the progression, uh, the, towards the progress for innovation for treatment options. So therefore, um, I went up to the school up north, which I won't name since I'm here at OSU. Um, it starts with an M. Um, there, uh, I enrolled to become a, uh, a dual doctorate in medicine as well as in, uh, a doctorate in philosophy. So during medical school, you go through the progression of wanting to be a psychiatrist or internal medicine doctor or a uh, dermatologist, emergency doctor, or even a surgeon. And through the progression that I went through, I identified surgery as something that I was interested in. And particularly stemming from my interest in oncology, you know, I fostered my, my growth to become a surgical oncologist. So Upon my completion of medical school there in Michigan, I stayed on as a general surgery resident, which is a, uh, a training, but also a stepping stone to further specializing into a uh, more of a surgical specialist called surgical oncologist. And from there, I um, went to University of Pittsburgh Medical Center to actually uh, become an expert in the field that I'm in right now. And then on to Ohio State. And then here at Ohio State, as of September 28, 2020, you know, one thing great about Ohio State is that everybody's been super collaborative, welcoming, and luckily there's a lot of colleagues of mine um, that were um, recruited here from various places where, you know, especially the school up north, as well as um, uh, from University of Pittsburgh also. So it became a, f a familiar um, institution very quickly. Well, that's good that you knew a lot of people from previous posts because moving to a new place, like I know when we moved to Columbus, it takes a little while to, you know, create your, your pack of friends, but you already had some in place. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, but, um, you know, most importantly, my colleagues, they've all been welcoming. And yeah, Columbus in general hasn't been foreign to me because, you know, obviously for sporting events and things like that, you know, when I was going to school up there, we would sneak down once in a while to attend games here. Oh, to see your team lose. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, great. It's welcome to the podcast and to Columbus and to Ohio State. And you were recruited here specifically to help lead the HIPEC program, right? Yeah, the HIPEC program already um, existed here at, at OSU, but you know, I was brought on as a you know as a a specialist who solely focused on managing patients that are afflicted with metastatic cancers, so that I could help them with this particular um, surgical technique. Well, that's perfect time now for you to explain what it is. So, first, talk about the types of cancer that it would be appropriate to use HIPEC for and then what it is exactly. So in order for someone to, or a patient to be candidate for a HIPEC procedure, they have to have a cancer that is arising from the appendix, the colon, the rectum, or the lining of the belly cavity. Um, essentially, these cancers have eroded through or grew out of their natural habitat and have begun to spread throughout the belly cavity. And those are the patients that are particularly will benefit from the hyper procedure. And these are areas that are just isolated from rest of the body. Okay. Um, because of that, uh, we, uh, you, we take advantage of the fact that these cancers are not widely spread to other parts of the body and that it's located in a specific area that where we could actually take them out surgically. But we also brought in the concept of because it's a region and it's isolated from rest of the human body, uh, quote unquote, um, that we could actually employ some anti-cancer drugs um, at a bigger concentration and higher doses uh, without getting the, the toxicity or the, the complications um, you know, that you would experience if you were to receive it at that, that, that dose in a IV form or through the blood vessels. So what the concept of HIPEC was, was the fact that, you know, um, we employ two, basically it's a two operation that is combined into one. The first portion of the operation uh, consists of what we call cytoreductive surgery. It's just a fancy way of saying we're, gonna, we're going to remove surgically any visible uh, tumors that are within the belly cavity. Once those tumors are completely removed, or, or removed to the microscopic level to the point that where we can't see it with our eyes. We know that the cells are still there. So what we do is we employ the second part of the operation called a hyperthermic intraperitoneal chemoperfusion and the acronym that we've been throwing around, HIPEC, to clean up all the invisible disease that's there. And the chemotherapy that we utilize is heated and it's actually a contact-based, meaning as soon as it touches a cancer cell, it does the killing, okay? And the reason for the high temperature that we apply is the fact that it allows for the chemotherapy to penetrate those cancer cells much better. So if I'm understanding this correctly, you've um, created an incision, you've gone in, you've removed all the cancer that the eye can see with some, perhaps some margins, then you inject or put in heated chemotherapy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I guess the question is, how does that heated chemotherapy enter the belly, right? But so even before that, yeah. how do you heat it up? This is a, a liquid drug? 
Yeah, it's a liquid. It's a liquid drug. It's formulated and it's compounded by our pharmacy. And the way it works is, you know, um, through the incision, we do the operation just like any, uh, any operations that we would do. Um, and then once all the visible disease is clear, then we actually close the belly again, but we leave behind catheters. And the catheters are connected to a perfusion device or a device that actually allows for the circulation of the chemotherapy, but it serves a dual purpose. One of the purposes, the perfusion and creating a circuit, whether it pumps the chemotherapy into the belly and out of the belly. But at the same time, while that circuit is, is running through the machine, it has a heated component. So it's able to heat the chemotherapy to an appropriate temperature that we like to apply to the body. How, how hot do you heat it? And why is heated chemotherapy more effective than regular chemotherapy? Yeah. So typically we heat the, key, uh, the chemotherapy to 40 degrees centigrade. Okay. Um, how, would, how, would yeah. that be, how would that be Fahrenheit? You know, I would have to do the conversion real quick here. Let me just do it on. on, on. I'm not good with centigrade. I'm not either. So I would have to do. <laughs> okay. There we go. Google 104 degrees. 104. So, okay. So it's not that. Yeah, just above like the feverish temperature. Limit. Okay. Yeah. And um, the reason why we heat it is the fact that, you know, by heating the chemotherapy, it allows for the, the toxic agents or the anti-tumor agents, I should say, to penetrate the tumors better. It makes the, because all cells are made out of a membrane called the cellular membrane that protects, it, it, it separates basically the in, inside contents from the outside world. It makes the outer membrane as well as does the cells that are sticking and, and hanging out nearby. Uh, much more loose, and then also makes the membrane a little bit leakier. So it allows for the chemotherapy to actually penetrate the actual tumor cells much better. Okay, that was a great explanation. We're going to take a, a quick break, and when we come back, we'll learn a little more about HIPEC. A revolution in lung cancer treatment is happening at the James. We're proving lung cancer isn't solely defined by location and stage, but rather the individual molecules and genes that drive it. Simply put, there is no routine lung cancer. That's why our world-renowned specialists put their expertise towards treating one particular lung cancer, yours. At The James, we go beyond the routine to prevent, detect, treat, and cure your lung cancer. To learn more, call 1-800-293-5066. We're back with Alex Kim, and we're talking about HIPEC. And Alex, when we left off, you explained the procedure of the operation. And I just wanted to go back a second and make sure I understand um, completely what you're talking about. Uh, you mentioned a little bit about metastatic cancers and that we're very isolated and that, that this worked well on them. So explain a little, are these always metastatic cancers or, or where are they coming from? Or are they primary cancers? So just, I, I didn't quite understand that fully. So to clarify, you know, uh, in terms of the patients that are candidates for the HIPEC uh, procedure, they have what's called a peritoneal metastasis. So the human body is actually, um, you know, the way it's built, it's compartmentalized. For example, you have your chest, Inside your you know, ribs, you have your lungs, you have your heart, and you have your vessels. Um, that is actually separated from your belly by a musculature or muscles called a diaphragm. 
Within your peritoneal cavity, which is more towards the front of your belly, that contains your liver, your intestines, your stomach, and your colon. And then your belly cavity is actually even more compartmentalized and towards the back of it called the retroperitoneum. So when the cancer that have, for example, rising from the appendix or the colon or the rectum have escaped their normal environment or metastasized to the surrounding area or fled the country, I, that, that's how I explain it to the patients. But within the peritoneal cavity, okay, those are the patients that are actually benefit the most from the HIPEC procedure. Okay, so this is not perhaps lung cancer spreading to the stomach area. These are it's it's something close to it that sort of goes. It's it's not going far. It's very it's exactly. next door. It's next door exactly. and not across the street. Exactly. And there's an interesting, you know, uh, hypothesis or, you know, thoughts that are being, you know, thrown around, especially in our field. And, you know, the science, as, as, as much as uh, we know these days and how far the science has come, there's still a lot of things that we're trying to understand, particularly in terms of GI cancers. You know, if you're dealing with stomach or small intestines or a colon, you could think of it simply as piping, okay? Like a human, human body is just essentially a pipe, okay, from... Your mouth, when you eat your food, goes down your mouth, down your swallow tube called the esophagus, goes into the stomach, goes through the small intestines, lands in the colon, and it eventually comes out through your rectum and through your anus. So you're essentially one gigantic pipe. The way these cancers develop, um, they actually arise from the inside or the lining inside the pipe, okay? And while the, all these, you know, the intestines, the stomach, and the colon are confined within the belly cavity, it's like a boiler room. So essentially you have an erosion of a cancer through the pipe and it becomes a big leak that just essentially just gets spilled over to the boiler room. And what we're trying to do is, is trying to clean up the area and get the place back to where it was. I hope that analogy kind of made, you know, some sense. Yeah. I, I can almost visualize it now, a leaking pipe and like sort of rust colored water coming out, but in this case, cancer cells, and it just seeps through your house gradually, but in this case, it's exactly. the body and creating these little tumors that you then go in and remove and then administer the heated chemotherapy. Exactly. So um, how, how much does this improve the outcome for patients? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, in terms of cancer treatment, it's actually not just about surgery or about chemotherapy. It's actually a combination of all therapies. And I think colorectal cancer is the model disease for what we call multimodal therapies, okay? And particularly for stage four colorectal cancers. So if we were to look back actually almost two decades ago, you know, the only option that was available for patients that were afflicted with metastatic or advanced or cancers that have spread coming from the colon was just IV chemotherapy. And at that time, when you had systemic spread into, or not systemic spread, peritoneal spread, or you had what we call peritoneal carcinomatosis, or fancy words saying the cancer has spread within the belly cavity, the prognosis or the outcome for those patients in terms of survival was within months. What was quoted about two, two three decades ago was six to eight months of survival, actually. And for patients to come into the hospital in an emergency setting, meaning those cancers have caused, like, for example, bowel blockage. The quoted uh, uh, survival was, you know, two to four months at the time. But 
with advent of colonoscopy, catching colon, you know, colon cancers earlier, um, as well as modern chemotherapy, we've actually improved survival quite a bit. So patients that are afflicted by peritoneal metastases arising from colorectal cancers went traditionally from six to eight months to 10 years ago to about 16 months. And now we could even actually get them to, you know, 30 to most recent data suggesting coming out of France, 41 months by employing both chemotherapy as well as systemic chemotherapy. That's, that's a big, that's a lot of months more. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So look a little bit into your crystal ball and talk about other advances that are going to expand that uh, lifeline out longer. And also, could this HIPEC um, technique of injecting the chemo directly into and around where the, the cancer, where the tumor was, can that be used in other types of cancer? Yeah, those are all great questions. Um, so in terms of, you know, the HIPEC procedures itself, um, it does come with quite a bit of morbidity, we should say, or risk to the patient, okay? So obviously for a patient to undergo the procedure, they have to be fit and they have to be able to tolerate the, uh, the surgery. And it's a big operation. Um, it's a two-component operation that could take essentially all day. You know, we're talking about in terms of anywhere between six hours to the longest high-pack procedure I've done in my career was all the way up to 20 hours, okay? Right. So you have to be super fit. And, you know, the field currently quotes all comer complications. I'm not talking about really bad complications, but all comers. For example, wound infection, urinary tract infection from having a catheter in your bladder during the operation, all the way to heart attack and even death. Um, it's about 40%. Um, luckily, you know, with uh, the improving in surgical techniques, as well as uh, taking care of these patients in the last 10 decades, the death rate and mortality has significantly plummeted. To the point where we're only quoting about two to five percent. Okay. Um, however, there are still risks that are involved. The therapies that we use currently um, been employed, you know, for approximately ten to fifteen years, and you know, I think we're starting to hit the plateau of the effectiveness of that. So, one of the things that you asked is, if I was looking into the future, is there something that we could do differently? I think we need to get at, um, we need to understand the, the, the process of how these cancers progress, how they, what are some of the mechanisms or ways that they, uh, you know, um, gain the ability to spread so that we can actually tackle those uh, weaknesses and, you know, once they're identified. Um, and ultimately what I see is employment of different anti-tumor therapeutic options to what we call regional therapies or in place of HIPEC. So improved immunotherapy and things like that. Potentially, yeah. A potentially improved immunotherapy, uh, potentially additional targeted therapies, meaning we identify certain weaknesses within the genetic or the molecular programming within the cancer cell that allows for cell to spread so then we actually halt the process of spreading with a, you know, with a targeted agent per se. And it also sounds like another possibly and hopefully step forward is more uh, screenings, more, more colonoscopies to catch it before it spreads. And um, what we found this past year during pan the pandemic that 
unfortunately, people aren't getting as many screenings. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the unfortunate circumstances with COVID-19. And it's caused a lot of disparity, especially for our cancer patients. Um, um, and hopefully, you know, we get over this pandemic and, you know, we could provide the appropriate treatment, you know, strategies for the patients that haven't seen these, you know, treatment plans or, you know, was afraid to come into the hospital because of, you know, this, the, the issues that are surrounding our society right now. Um, but you're absolutely right, you know, with, you know, increasing screening, maybe, you know, the other things that, you know, that we're looking at is potentially identifying early biomarkers to suggest that, yes, you know, maybe these patients have more disease than, than it's led. The thing about colonoscopy is this, it gives you the clue that there is something eroding through the pipe, right? But you can't see outside the pipe, particularly. And we employ CT scans afterwards. Once you have a diagnosis of cancer, oftentimes you have to undergo what's called staging, okay? Staging means we do diagnostic exams to further stratify or to see where how far the cancer has spread, okay? Not only does it use imaging, but also in, uh, in terms of lab work, okay? So another strategy that I could think of is potentially improving the laboratory values. Maybe we could find a marker that could suggest that, yeah, the cancer is much more advanced. Or, you know, for patients that have, for example, we talked about the early stage cancers, right? So not all patients that arrive with peritoneal metastases are initially diagnosed with their original cancer at the, at the initial time, okay? Some patients actually be, you know, are treated with early stage cancer or stage three cancer surgically, and they undergo appropriate therapy. But down the road, they develop secondary metastases or recurrences, particularly uh, the definition that we like to use in this type of setting is what we call metachronous metastases. The cancer comes back at some other point in time, okay? So in those patients, you know, identifying biomarkers or improving the imaging techniques to, you know, be more sensitive, to identify, you know, potential candidates that we could actually treat beforehand. I think those are, you know, those are those scientific goals that we have coming down the pipeline. So it sounds like the HIPEC, as you said, is sort of plateaued in terms of perfecting it. It's, it's as good as it's going to get, but all these other things will help it make it more effective and also make it even perhaps less necessary to do that. It won't get to that stage. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, those are all, those are the, the goals that you and everyone at the James and the Comprehensive Cancer Center are working on every day. That's right. That's right. And that's why I'm here. You know, it, it's because of the collaborative environment. You know, everybody has one goal. It's to treat cancer patients. That's all we, that's all we want to do, whether it be, you know, be at frontline treating cancer patients hands-on or, you know, be, you know, be innovating, doing the research, whether it be basic science, understanding the mechanism or translating, you know, the mechanism to a therapy, identifying biomarkers, looking at patient outcomes, and also ultimately running clinical trials. And that's what we're good at at James. And that's, that's why we're here. Okay. Well, I'm glad you're here at, at the James and on this podcast. And thanks for explaining this. And, and it's really fascinating. And it's just so just yet another example of all these hundreds and hundreds of little steps forward that are, that are combining to create big steps forward. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Solov Research Institute. 
For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.